I'm very excited to be talking to my longtime friend, Tristan Montebello today. And you were actually a chapter in ultra learning. Uh, I had a desire when I was writing the book to not just focus on people who were um, you know, already had accomplished something great, but maybe to talk to some people who were interested in taking on an ultra learning project and just to see where they went. And yours was by far the most interesting and impressive of the group of people that I worked with because you went from having fairly little public speaking experience, and you'll you'll check me if I'm if I'm wrong on that, to being a finalist for Toastmasters World Championship of Public Speaking in around seven months. So, you know, just tell us a little bit about that and, and we can sort of talk about this journey that we went through together uh, when I was writing the book. Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me on. Uh, I yeah. guess the the journey to the world championships is a bunch of just happy accidents, starting with meeting you, obviously, reaching out to you when I heard you were going to write a book and saying, hey, are you looking for a guinea pig? Because I was at that time, I had this idea of uh, building a website where um, I would be try to teach beginners different skills. And I had created a um, a course on learning how to play guitar online. So suddenly I have to find this project and I had no idea what to choose. And I don't know how in detail you want to go into this, but long story short, I end up choosing public speaking because a friend suggests I choose a skill that could, uh, change my life. Yeah. Like, I mean, you were not initially even going to focus on speaking, which I think is partly what makes this story so great because I remember having calls with you uh, when we were sort of in the early phases of this and you were saying, well, you know, maybe I'd like to learn um, piano. And, uh, you know, I was a little dismissive of that just for my own selfish reasons because you were already kind of a, a musician, you performed, you played guitar. And so there's a little bit of like, oh yeah, someone who's musical learning another uh, musical instrument doesn't have that same, let's say that that's that same kind of visceral appeal maybe as someone who is starting off on something that they're like a, just a genuine novice <laughs> in. So I think that's kind of funny because sometimes there's often a little bit of a like, well, this is a little just cherry picking. This is just like, we're just picking, you know, okay. Yeah. But you were already really prepared to do this. And now mm -hmm. we're just kind of making it look like you did something in a very short period of time, but this really came out of the blue. Oh, this uh, this project entirely. You shut down a piano pretty quickly <laughs> for me, um, and it's it's a strange feeling to be to know you're going to invest a good chunk of your life into learning something, and it, it mm -hmm. feels like you have to choose wisely. And I was having a conversation with one of my friends who has a, a YouTube channel, Classical Guitar Shed, I believe it's called, and he had just read a book on this that was talking about meta skills, skills that. The better you get at them, the better your life gets, the better all these other kind of peripheral skills improve. And I had performed a little bit with my group and playing guitar, and I had given a speech or two, and my speeches went terribly. And the only <laughs> moment I felt comfortable on stage playing guitar was actually when I was playing guitar. And every moment in between where you're supposed to say something, you know, entertain the crowd. Yeah. I was, I was frozen and incapable of, of doing much. So when he said, Oh, why don't you try public speaking? It was like, Oh, that's the, that's the one thing that I have been frustrated with my entire <laughs> life. And I want to do something about it. So it kind of fit perfectly, but yeah, no, 
unfortunately, no skills prior. So this was a skill that you were not that confident in as opposed to piano, which you probably felt like you had some idea that you'd be successful at it, given that you were already a guitar teacher and you knew a lot about music. Yeah, I think I had a, I don't know that I was confident with piano, but it felt straightforward. It felt like, okay, if I practice enough, many people have done it. It's just going to be about cramming a lot of practice in a short amount of time and then finding out ways to optimize those learning loops. Yeah. With speaking, if I had I had no idea where to start and your principle of using 50% of the project time to prepare was very important, but it actually got yeah. very impatient and I think midway through those 50% is when I decided I need to I need to do something. I need to get a sense of where I'm at. And so I found yeah. a Toastmasters club nearby and I went in and, you know, I just like kind of sat there and the, I, I signed up for another one. So the second Toastmasters meeting I went into, they talked about this thing that world championships of public speaking mm-hmm. and they, it was just said completely nonchalantly, you know, Oh, by the way, if you want to sign up for the world championships, uh, come see me. <laughs> at the end. And I remember kind of like elbowing the guy next to me being, Hey, what, what is she talking about? And he says, oh, it's yeah. a world championship. You should go to, go on YouTube, check out the finalists, uh, the winners. It's pretty amazing. And I went home. I looked at that. And the funny thing is when I saw, so we'd been struggling, you and I, we'd been struggling to define what does success look like in speaking? How do you show yeah. that you're a beginner? And how, more importantly, how do you show that you're an expert? But uh, I remember- Well, that what, was a big yeah. thing, I think, in a lot of these projects. And I want to make it clear, like this isn't really so much an issue of learning, but it's more an issue of, you know, in, in doing these kinds of projects where you're hoping at the end to present them somewhere yeah. that one of the big challenges I had is that I had a lot of people who submitted to me, they said they wanted to work on some project. And for some people, they'd be working on a project where they'd already reached a kind of intermediate level of skill. And that makes it very hard for other people like outsiders to judge because you're not at the level they're at when they're starting. So like, for instance, you know, I, I've been working on my Mandarin for a number of years and I'm not perfect at it. And I'd love to do a project where I get a lot better, but it's totally illegible to someone who's on the outside because they don't know any Mandarin. So it seems like I already know quite a bit. So how, how do you measure getting better at it? So the getting the clear starting point is hard. And that's particularly hard for something like public speaking where it's a it's such a vague nebulous skill depends a lot on your personal charisma as well as your confidence and so many other things that you're coming to it so so that was a difficult point and then the second thing is like what does it mean to be accomplished as a public speaker now we we didn't think about this competition at all i didn't i didn't even know yeah Yeah, I I did remember Toastmasters because I had gone to some Toastmasters when I was younger. I was thinking, well, that would be a good place to practice. Um, But we were thinking, you know, maybe maybe you could like pitch some TEDx events and and do a little speech and talk about kind of your your training regimen. But but even that has a little bit of um, an artificial quality because, you know, TEDx is usually you get invited because you've done something interesting or you have something interesting to say that's not related to being yeah, a speaker, right? Exactly. Like you're yeah, a scientist they, they, or they don't like a book bringing or professional speakers yeah. in. Yeah. 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 They want to bring someone who, you know, invented the cure for cancer and they're going to talk about <laughs> it, even me. if they're not super polished rather than, yeah. you know, just some guy who, yeah, yeah, I did a lot of speeches and this is what I'm going to give my speech about. <laughs> yeah. So I think Toastmasters was interesting because it, it provided a kind of pure outlet for um, the presentation skill as opposed to just you being a world world renowned expert or an author or, you know, CEO of whatever. Yeah. hundred percent. hundred percent. Yeah. 
So let's let's kind of walk through the timeline of this project that you went on. So you go to your second Toastmasters, you hear about the competition. What happens next? Well, I thought I, I had no illusions in my mind that I could win. It didn't it didn't make any it was obvious that I couldn't. Yeah, that I was. But I, I thought, OK, there's a competition in two weeks and the, the kind of the qualifiers it starts in each club around the world and then it, it grows. And I think there are about 30,000 people around the world who participate simultaneously. And little by little, it's um, sudden death. It's only the winner who go, moves up to the next level. But I thought, hey, even if I only go through one step or two, it's going to be such incredible pressure to practice. And it's, it's just going to be perfect for, this, for the learning project. But I had an issue is that I, I needed to get, I think, five or six officially ratified Toastmaster speeches. And I had like seven days or something ridiculous. <laughs> and so I had already met Michael and asked him, hey, could you coach me? Could you help me out? Michael was just a, a guy I met at Toastmasters who at the time yeah. worked at Hulu. Now is my uh, the, the guy who created Ultra Speaking with me. But um, he helped coach me in the early days. And I still have that email of like, I know this is going to sound crazy, but do you think I can get five speeches done within seven days? Which is what a Toastmaster, the average Toastmaster usually gets done maybe in four to six months. And I got yeah. the last speech done at 12 p.m. And the competition was that evening at 7 or 8 p.m. So I, that was two weeks after discovering and two weeks after starting the competition. And the competition lasted close to, the whole project lasted close to seven months. So you, you, you managed to be successful at this competition, that level. And so basically, so people understand how it works. It's like there's 30,000 people at the bottom and then there's sort of the club level tier of competition and whoever wins that moves on to the next round. And then there's another, I don't know what, I don't know what all the layers are, but there's a number of yeah, layers There's a number. Of and layers. each one it's, it's only the person who wins that moves up in the kind of like yeah. increasingly, you know, rarefied air of the competition exactly. until you were at the world championship where well, yeah. you, you made it to the uh, final 10. Once you get to, once you win your district and mm -hmm. I was in Los Angeles, so it's very heavy, very competitive district yeah. one. And so my district was just like the greater Los Angeles area. Whereas yeah. if you're from Sri Lanka, your district might cover two countries, but it's yeah. basically on, on the, the amount of people, but the, the top a hundred of the, the winners of the districts right. are those who are flown into the Toastmasters International Convention that happens every year. And those top 100 fight for the, the semifinals and the finals. And yeah, it was that, also exciting because you happened to come like the competition was in Vancouver where I live. Yeah. And so you even I think you were even staying at a hotel that just happened to be like a block away yeah. from my apartment. Yeah, so there's was, there's was just this weird synchronicity throughout this entire uh, project from, you know, the fact that uh, like we, we sort of had met randomly through my blog, like several years earlier from this. I, I think we had met uh, maybe in 2010, I want to say, uh, when I was living yeah. in France. You were yeah. just there. You came to a meetup once and we just kind of kept in touch through all that. And then, you know, the, so I, there's so many little like random events that happen in this. So, you know, obviously I think you're, it's an incredible accomplishment, but it's also, it's always intriguing when there's just like weird things that just happen to line up that make the, the story more interesting. 
Yeah. Only, I think most incredible stories tend to happen that way. I just <laughs> like, it feels like there's just a random bit of luck at one more. You need, a, you need a little bit of luck for the stars to align. Right. And it was, yeah. it was, it wasn't easy. I had a, my second child in the middle of the competition. And so I remember like I won oh, yeah. the third level of competition right before the district when my daughter was two days old. So two days before I was in the hospital and my wife even came to the competition. She stayed outside. And when I, when I ended up winning and I remember like coming in with my, this tiny little bundle of a child, kind of like lion kinging her around. <laughs> <laughs> I was so happy because that was, that was, I think one of the scariest ones, the one where I really, I really felt there, I had no chance, particularly after seeing the first uh, participants go, which did a phenomenal job. It was terrifying. Yeah. I mean, you know, that was a, that was an interesting part of just, I remember writing when I was writing the story in the chapter and I was like, okay, this is too much. If I start including the little bit about how he has a newborn child throughout all of this. Not well, I think the other thing I was worried is that I, I was thinking um, as well that like, Man, who does this guy come off as? If is you know, you just okay. Uh, my wife is going to go deliver, and then I'm going to go do some uh, public speaking competitions uh, in the middle of that. I mean, how did you get through that? I know this was something that you know when I was writing, I didn't have any children. Now I have a child at home, and I know how difficult it is to manage, you know, young children and doing intensive projects. Like, how did you manage to juggle child rearing and all that work with going through and and pushing forward on such an intensive challenge? Well, my wife definitely helped played a huge part. <laughs> Shout out to my wife. <laughs> uh, it was, it was, that part was hard. Even I mean, yeah. the, the end, because the competition was coming in. I, and, and it, you know how, like in those last few weeks, yeah. it, it can get, it gets pretty intense. You don't know what's going to happen. You, you have some false alarms potentially. Oh, is it happening now? No, you're not sleeping well. And then once the baby's there, there's no more. You can't even think about sleeping. That's, that's, right. that's done. It was, it was just hard, but it, at that point I was so invested and yeah. so astounded that I'd already made it that far. <laughs> Once I'd won that one, it's the first time yeah. I started to believe, Hey, maybe I have a chance of making it like to the semifinals. And so it's now like, I like had Neo this... in the subway or something where he's fighting yeah. and, and then he, you know, he starts to believe you might be actually able exactly. to do it. And that gives you a um, lot of, a lot of energy and stamina. Well, that that brings up a, an interesting point because so much of public speaking revolves around confidence, right? And in some ways, I mean, you know, some of it's luck, but in some ways the the process that you went through really it it really set you up to be confident as you were going through it because because you sort of had like let's call it like unexpected victories in this, then each level you moved in kind of uh, boosted your confidence for uh, for the next one. I don't know whether I'm interpreting this uh, correctly, but I've noticed this myself when I've taken on projects that um, there's often an advantage in some ways to taking on something that's quite ambitious because your sort of default presumption is that you're not going to be successful at it. So when it works even a little bit, you're just buoyed by that. And that gives you so much more confidence and energy to keep going as opposed to, you know, the way we often approach learning or, or doing some kind of practice where it's like, well, you really should be able to do this. And then it's just a, it's a negative feeling when you're not successful at it. That was absolutely the case. It was so, yeah. it was so unbelievable to me. I was putting in the work. I was, I, at first mm -hmm. I was, maybe working 30% of the time on this project, 70% on my business. 
by the time I got there, it was that had reversed. And then once mm-hmm. I made it to the semifinals, I'm like, okay, I'm putting this whole my whole business on pause for a second. Right. And I'm going to focus on this. I really invested everything. But at the time, I had booked a virtual assistant on Fancy Hands, and she would book me uh, guest spots in different Toastmasters clubs all mm-hmm. around LA. So I just open up my calendar. I'd see a, a speech somewhere in LA and I'd just drive there and practice. And so I would just, and every time I won, I'd, I'd ask her like more, 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 more yeah. to the point where I, sometimes I had two a day. I'd do one at, at lunchtime and one in the evening just to get in more reps, to get more practice. And, um, but the, the, I think what's fascinating about my project when I look back at it is that it feels like they're two completely different phases, particularly when it comes to the confidence I had in myself. The first phase was what I call the script writing phase. So that was mm. all the way up to district where I was basically consistently iterating on this one speech that I had won the, the first competition with, the first step of the competition. Mm. And it was okay, enough to beat the people in my club. And then I took that speech and I broke it down and I made it better enough to beat the next level. And I kept doing that. And so it was a strange back and forth between where maybe 60 to 70% of my time was actually spent studying storytelling, studying script writing and editing. I was, we were, Michael and I would, would, he would coach me and I would just go back home and rewrite the script and change words and change sentences and every word, every sentence, every breath, every comma counts. But when it would come time to go perform it, it really felt like a performance. I was an actor walking on stage. I knew every line by heart. I knew it backwards, forward, inside out. And so there was no, no zero, absolutely zero space left for spontaneity. But the second phase, so well, here, th- this is what's fascinating is I win district. I'm qualified for the semifinal. They've booked a, f- a flight for me to, you know, they're flying me out to Vancouver for this thing. I am revered within my little, this little bubble <laughs> in district one as like, you know, maybe this is the guy who's going to win us the world championship again. I, I They yeah. were really like, I could feel buoyed by the, everyone's enthusiasm. It was, right. it was a, and, you know, all of my friends, but I had never felt less confident in my speaking abilities, because all I knew how to do was to perform a script perfectly. But if I had to, if, if one of my friends said, Hey, Tristan, this, you know, Mr. Big speaker, why don't you give us a toast or can you speak at my wedding? I would have been like anything that was on the spot. The wedding might be different on the spot. I would have been absolutely terrified. And for phase two, I didn't have that, that, luck to have a speech, to have something to go with. So, and I didn't have time. So I basically, I all, I had all these speeches booked and I walked into the first speech pushed by Michael and I didn't have a script. I just had a bunch of ideas. And so for the first time I showed up and I didn't have, I wasn't the performer. Now I was actually a speaker trying to pull content out of my mind. And it was much tougher. I blanked for, I think, 14 or 17 seconds the first time I did it. And, but I made it through. And little by little, my whole practice regimen was around impromptu, spontaneous speaking rather than performing a script. And I never again really wrote a script. I, I just kept iterating on this thing in the moment. 
pushed mm. by Michael to discover what can your brain come up with under pressure that you can't come up with in front of that blank sheet of paper. And I think that's really the seed that incepted what ultra speaking is and what our whole method is based on now. So, so let's, let's talk about that a little bit because, uh, you know, we're, we're mentioning it. You actually took this not only as a sort of an interesting little project, but as a complete career term, because as you said before, you were doing, um, some guitar courses online. I know you've, you'd done previously, you'd worked for a a cashmere sweater yeah. startup in Paris. I, that was, I think, what you were doing when I met you. Yeah. And so you've you've done uh, you've done a, a number of different kinds of jobs and different kinds of little entrepreneurial ventures. But now what you're doing is this ultra speaking, which is related to coaching people to be more comfortable speaking, to be more successful with their um, presentation skills and stuff. So I, I'm kind of curious what you know, how has this, um, experience sort of, how do you translate that to students so that other people can also benefit who don't maybe have this like weird mixture of serendipity and lucky yeah. coincidences and the ability to do like six speeches at a time when you have a newborn at home. Exactly. Like what do you do to coach normal people to feel more confident speaking? Well, I think we, we, we took all the principles we learned to heart. So we, first thing we did was ditch the script. So mm. almost everything we do is without a script. You can write things down. You can start with a script, but if you're training at ultra speaking, the first thing we're going to ask you to do is hide the script. We're going to put on a timer and say like, go, just give us your speech. Yeah. Let's see what you can remember. And we're trying to, we're flipping that around so that you're teaching your brain to trust itself to trust its ability to perform in the moment. Because I think the biggest thing I discovered is almost everything I did in the first phase gave me zero or very, not zero, but very little in terms of confidence. It did mm. allow me to hone my storytelling skills considerably, but that's basically it. Phase two changed my life. It made me feel more yeah. comfortable in every situation, like introducing myself in a random room, talking to random strangers, uh, even in my group of friends, just that moment where you feel everybody suddenly look at you, that's the moment everybody fears, whether it's a single person or a group of people or, you know, you because you're on a stage, that's the, can I perform in that moment? And what we discovered in that second phase of the project was the only way to build out that confidence is to put yourself in that situation where you have to speak and people are looking at you. And yeah. you have to do that enough times and get enough positive repetitions where thing go, things go well that you anchor that, you start, your mindset starts raising. So I think to, to summarize, the biggest shift we discovered was the skill set is usually much higher than your mindset. Everybody's been mm. speaking since they're 13 or 14 months old. We've been training all our lives. We all feel comfortable with someone in the world, our partner, our friend, our mom. Yeah. So we already know how to speak. We already know how to tell stories. We know most of the basics of speaking. The real problem is not only have we not experimented with that under pressure, but we don't believe we can do it under pressure or in a different environment because we've never really been there. So all of our practice is around putting you in a safe environment, where there's no real failure because everybody's in it with yeah. you and you're just getting a ton of reps 
under pressure. And so we just have a bunch of games where we, we tweak different things. We throw random words at you. We make you complete sentences. We force you to pause, do very long pauses in the middle of your speaking. And you put all of that together and you get enough, enough reps in and suddenly you realize, oh, I feel more comfortable outside of this world. I start right. feeling more comfortable in my team meetings. I speak up a little bit more in my group of friends. These little incremental shifts start happening, which gives you that that energy to keep going. So I want to try to um, you know apply an analytical lens to what you're you're talking about here because I feel like there's often a split, particularly for things like public speaking. But we could also talk about this the same with things like language learning or or even even skills like math there's an emotional component as well as an intellectual component. And the intellectual component is the kind of the, what we probably call a skill, like something that's actually like you have to reason through, you have to actually make the answer. And you can see that in what you're talking about here, where you're doing these little like games, which are, which are really just kind of like fun drills for isolating little aspects so you can get people, you know, used to pausing longer and, 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 and doing that. But the emotional component, I think probably for public speaking dominates because it's so terrifying. You feel so, you know, uh, wrapped up in anxiety or you start to question everything you want to say again, and that sort of interpretive lens, because you're feeling nervous about it and you aren't able to speak in a fluent way. And so one of the things that I can reflect on my own projects is, you know, for instance, when Vat and I went and did the language learning experiment, part of, I think, the advantage of that approach was that this sort of huge amount of exposure to speaking, let's say, Spanish all the time meant that you got really comfortable doing it even before you got really good. So the emotional kind of adaptation to the situation proceeded at a fairly rapid pace, even if, you know, the intellectual skill hadn't yet reached like its pinnacle. And I think that can be really advantageous because if the major barrier to practice, if the major barrier to, you know, you taking speaking opportunities to you standing up in the team meeting is this emotional one, then you can't fix the the intellectual skill, the cognitive skill, if you don't have the emotional part handled. Yeah, we say skill set leads, mindset lags. And mm. I think that's the biggest thing we, we, we notice in most people to, that come and see us is that um, the image they have of themselves is the thing that's holding them back the most. But you can't just, I mean, Michael at one point tried to get me to use a mantra to tell to look myself in the mirror and say like you're great at I'm a great speaker and I didn't I knew I wasn't a great speaker so it just felt like yeah. repeating a lie to myself and so yeah. I, I didn't I didn't even entertain that thought but there was a point where I clearly wasn't a great speaker but I started to believe wow I can get out of almost any situation even that first um, that first speech I gave where I blanked for 14 seconds and I'm literally, mm-hmm. I, I prompted myself as saying the, and the answer to this is, and then I had nothing in my mind and everybody's watching <laughs> me and I'm holding a mic and I'm just pacing. Yeah. But I, I knew enough by that time that I yeah. have to stay in character. I have to stay, still project my confidence and just be there. And I was just walking. So to, to the outside, it just looked like I was doing this on purpose. In, inside, I, I lived through 17 lives, my death, everything you could possibly imagine. And then at one point, I just yeah. opened my mouth. I, I started speaking and the, a word came out and boom, everything. When it finished, the feedback I was getting was that pause 
in the middle was one of the most powerful pauses I've ever experienced. So people actually loved the fact that I blanked because to them, they couldn't see that I was blanking. They saw that as only a very confident person would dare. <laughs> would wait 17 right? seconds after. 70 yeah. seconds just looking at everybody, let it sink in. Yeah. And so we, that, that was something that just started percolating in my mind of like, oh, I'm not transparent. People can't see my own discomfort mm. if I don't show it to them. And that's one of our, we have two, that's the, our biggest rule. Stay in character at all times, regardless of what you're doing, the games. When you play, even if you're failing miserably, you're not allowed to show your discomfort. You keep that yeah. in and only a few seconds after we're done, we can, we, uh, we can discuss and, and you can say, oh, I was terrified. But usually what happens yeah. is that in that moment where you say, I was terrified, which is your worst fear, people will say, oh, actually, you, you came off as pretty confident. I was surprised. <laughs> I can't even believe you said that. That happens to us every yeah. single time. And so it goes to show how your image of yourself, because you feel transparent and you're not very confident in your ability to express yourself, you think people are looking at me, are actually really paying attention to every single word I'm saying, every single movement I'm making. But that's just simply not the case. People are not listening to your words, really. They're kind of making up a story in their own mind. As I'm speaking to you right now, you're probably thinking about this podcast, like, hey, are we going too long? Do I need to reroute this? What's a good next question? Yeah. You might be thinking about your audio and tech setup. Your mind keeps going back and forth between what I'm saying and what you're hearing. Same thing for anybody listening to this. And so if you start understanding that, you realize that the the details that are so evident to yourself don't really matter. So if you are, if you can already take that out of the equation, now suddenly you can turn your confidence on. We've discovered that confidence is just a switch. You can turn it on or turn it off. Let's say you can, and you can gain 30, 40% in confidence just by deciding I'm going to be more confident. And we prove that all the time in our workshops. We have somebody speak or do a rep of a difficult game. And then you say, okay, great. Now do it again, but this time be more confident. And then the person looks like a different human being. And you're like, how is that yeah. even possible? You're the same person, yeah. no addition to your skill set. But coming back to your original question, the place you take in a room, mm -hmm. your, your self-worth, is is the seems to be the maybe the biggest element holding people back in their ability to learn it's it's mindset over skill set over and over and over so uh i know that you know we, we kind of had this transition here because we were talking about speaking and and you were talking about your early experiences doing the scripted speech and you'd gotten very good at it. Clearly, you were, you know, you were winning competitions. And then you shifted more to improvising. And I think there's two points that are interesting to make about that. One is the idea that the improvisational skills seem to have a lot more transfer than doing the speeches, the prepared speeches. As obviously the prepared speech, it gives you confidence that you can kind of execute a performance, but not that you can sort of deliver in an impromptu setting. And I think you can even see this with actors. Sometimes you'll see actors who are, you know, they can just put on these incredible performances where they're, you know, action heroes or stars or politicians. And then you see them in talk show interviews and not all of them, but some of them are, you know, a little shy, right? They're a little nervous around the camera. They have a little bit of difficulty. And 
this is, you know, seems so strange. Like, how could you do one and not the other? But it's clear if someone's told you this is what to say and to be confident when you're saying it, perhaps you get a different ability than when you're improvising. And so for the people you coach now who are often not just trying to give, um, you know, prepared speeches at like a wedding or something, but you are trying to uh, just be a generally better presenter, better speaker, you find the improvising skill, that skill of just um, being in a sort of safe environment and getting lots of practice and practicing the kind of uh, what you were calling this sort of mindset is is more important. It's everything. It's, it's really everything. Yeah. I mean, we coach people and help people create uh, presentations all the time. Mm-hmm. So we'll do long keynotes, weddings, <laughs> all the way from keynotes yeah. to wedding speeches to you, ha- you have it. But the thing that matters, the, the piece of the puzzle that will, that makes it a meta skill that unlocks everything else in your life. And this is one of the pieces of, uh, one of the testimonials we see the most after our, our intensive courses is, oh, this is not about speaking. I've I've improved in speaking tremendously, but this was about so much more. And people will discover, oh, I was holding back on this. Oh, I was lacking confidence here or there. And so the ability to improvise, what, what it really is, is a trust in what you have in your own brain, in your ideas, and your ability to access them when it matters. So it's, it's, a, it's a game of accessing your abilities in the moment. And sometimes the magic of speaking is that you get, you actually discover something and you'll say something brilliant, better than what you actually had. Just like when you're writing, you, you, you see the words yeah. come out and sometimes like, wow, this is actually a really crisp sentence. That, the same happens with speaking if you're able to access a state of flow, if you're able to access a subconscious process rather than being stuck in your brain, which is what most people tend to do and why people are so anxious when it comes to speaking. So what would you recommend to someone who, you know, they want to improve their ability to speak more confidently, they want to improve their social skills, which, you know, as we were talking before, social skills are the, they're, they're very hard to pin down and define. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we're just saying they're so linked to confidence and identity. Uh, what would you suggest for someone who's maybe listening to this and says, you know what, I'd like to be more confident. I'd like to, you know, be uh, a better leader at work, or I'd like to be able to better conversationalist with my friends. What would you suggest is like, these are the kind of, these are the, uh, the, you know, the piano basic keys. These are the, like mm-hmm. getting the, the sort of basic reps in the layup drills for basketball. What are the, what are the basic things that people can repeat and work on in order to get closer to that? So I think the the most basic principle of all is you come off as more confident than you think you do. Anybody mm-hmm. listening to this who thinks, you know, oh, every time I speak, I blush, my voice trembles, my hands shake, this or that. That is some that is an internal perception that is not seen by others unless you spend the whole time speaking thinking about the fact that you're blushing. <laughs> that moment when you think, "Oh no, I'm blushing." Yeah. Nobody can see it. We've proven yeah. this over and over and over because I've had people tell me, oh, you know, oh, I'm blushing. I stop them. Anybody, raise your hand, be honest. Did anybody see that they were blushing? No. Yeah. Did anybody, you just asked, the, it's so evident. So you are not transparent. You come off as more confident 
than you are. So the easiest thing to change right now without any training is the concept of staying in character and ending strong, which means next time you speak, next time you step up, you bring forth your confident self. It's just a mindset shift. It's just a decision in your mind. And staying in character means if I fumble, I don't go, oh, I'm sorry, sorry, sorry. I, if, I'm, if I think, oh, I think I'm losing everybody, I don't say, sorry, I think I'm, you, you probably don't understand what I'm saying. You just take a breath, you reroute, and you keep going. Yeah. And when you finish or before you start, you don't say sorry. You don't say, sorry, I don't know, you know this is probably going to come off wrong. Or, and you don't end saying, sorry, I, I probably wasn't clear. Stay in character all the way through the finish line. And that's why we, we, had, we had to add end strong as one of our key <laughs> tenants because people would stay in character the whole time. And in those last two seconds, they kind of like show us. They're like, ah, they'll show it with the face, do something, say something. And just, yeah. it's like they suddenly forced everybody in the audience to now interpret what was said through the lens of, I'm disappointed with this. This is not mm. good content. So you have to stay in character during the time you speak and through the finish line. You got to land the plane. Otherwise, the flight, the smoothness of the flight was worthless. So I think that's like the most low-hanging fruit. Um, mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, I mean... One of the things, now this is maybe outside the scope of uh, ultra speaking, but I know that from talking to people that in a lot of, um, you know, I would say business situations, workplace situations, the listening side of communication is the sort of weaker muscle, maybe. Uh, to use an example, if we're dealing with like a client context, the problem maybe isn't that I'm able to talk my client's ear off, but then I'm not able to really listen to what it is that they want. Is this something that you find in your training workshop or dealing with a lot of confidence of expressing yourself? What is your thoughts on, you know, being able to be a better listener or being able to have a dialogue rather than just uh, talk over people? Uh, absolutely key. We, we have active listening classes. We have games that are focused solely around active listening. One of our games is called the podcast game. And it's really fun. You play with a few people, you insert the names of each player. And the first players whose name shows up has to introduce the podcast. Hey, welcome everybody. Today we're going to be talking about, you know, how rockets are going to go into space. And then suddenly in the middle of your sentence, the name of someone else is going to pop up and you have to stop mm -hmm. speaking. And that person has to pick up immediately and it just keeps yeah. going like that. And so it's, it's almost like an improv game. You have to jump in and, and follow through. But if we think about why listening is difficult. I actually think we can bring it back to a lack of confidence in yourself and your ability to access your ideas in the moment. So if somebody's speaking and I feel that it's important that I make a good impression and I'm not confident that I can, then the whole time you're speaking, I'm going to be thinking about what can I say? What should I say? And I'm trying to formulate an idea in my mind because I'm terrified that if I don't and I spend time listening to you, I'll have nothing to say and I'll just blank. So if I actually trust 100% and that trust can only come through, through actual repetitions, you have to earn that trust that I know that if I give all of my attention 
to the person I'm listening to, to this moment, then my answer will probably be even better than if I spent all of this time thinking. And the podcast game is really fun because you can tell immediately if somebody was not listening because they were probably formulating an idea of like, oh, he's talking about that. I'm going to go there. But the person mm -hmm. will shift left on the last moment and then the name changes and then they don't know what to say. And so they, they'll start yeah. talking about something that has nothing to do with it. But we play with that. Uh, we use the example of introducing yourself which is like everybody's terrified about. Let's go around the room. <laughs> Everybody who's in the second half of the room knows nothing about anybody there because they spent their whole time thinking about like, how am I going to introduce myself? What am I going to say? But if you decide very quickly, we call it pocketing an idea. You have a thought, you'll have a thought always. So you'll think, uh, oh, maybe I should talk about this. Well, acknowledge you had that thought, take it, put it in your pocket and trust that if that was a good thought, just like a great idea, it will come back to you in the moment and bring your mm -hmm. attention back to the person who's speaking and genuinely try to listen to them. And if you can do that, you'll find that in fact, in those moments when it's time for you to speak, you're so deeply connected with what's happening and the person speaking to you that you have more ideas than you can think of. You're, I, I like to... I like to see it as the world of Pandora in Avatar, where he's walking, discovering this world. And as he walks, all of these flowers, these bioluminescent flowers are just like turning on fluorescently and beautifully. And you suddenly have this lush landscape and you can pick any, anything from it. And that's what active listening gives you. If you're disconnected and you're in your brain, you can only focus on one idea really. And all of yeah. the rest is noise and panic and anxiety of, are, is this even worth anything? But if you're focused and you're in it, suddenly you have more ideas and it just becomes choosing one and committing to it. Oh man, I wish, like I could talk about this with you for hours, I feel like, but I think we're running low on time. So how can people who are interested in this idea, maybe they want to improve their soft skills, their communication skills, and they'd like to uh, maybe get some help from you or, or just learn more about what you have to say, where, where should people follow you? So our website's ultraspeaking.com. It's basically like ultra learning, but with speaking and uh, very inspired by you. And I have to say, we continually have a, a, a flow of people who come after reading the book, who are interested by the journey and the story and want to improve their communication and go through our trainings. And they are invariably my favorite people to work with. They're, like The people who come from Scott Young are amazing because they're already so interested in learning and so willing to dive in and, and really push themselves past their, their current beliefs that they just make for incredible students. So if you're into this, if you're an ultra learner, please come over because uh, yeah, you're going to do well at ultra speaking. This is the biggest thing I think that I want to say is that um, learning is a, uh, speaking is a skill. And it might be a soft, soft skill, but it is a skill. And regardless of where you are in the range of anxiety to feeling good about yourself, you can get very good. I've never met a person who, who we haven't been able to bring into that other um, part of the range, the above five or whatever, where people actually love speaking. 
I think everybody should love speaking. Everybody deserves to love speaking and everybody has that capacity. But ultraspeaking.com, we have a, a membership where you have access to all of our tools. You can play most of the games for free. We have, you can sign up for free. You can sign up for a membership where you have access to self-paced courses. We have live classes every day, kind of like a yoga studio where you can go in and practice different skills with other people. And then we have uh, the fundamentals course, which goes on every two months. And that's a cohort-based course. Everybody joins at the same time. So if you're an intensive kind of learner and you want to just dive in and, and experience a strong transformation, that's probably what I'd recommend. If you want a, 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 long, uh, uh, a more steady learning approach, then joining in the membership and going through that, there you're going to have all the tools you need. So everything's at ultraspeaking.com. If you want fundamentals specifically, just add slash fundamentals or you'll see it on the homepage. Oh, and that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. It's been really good to catch up and also talk about some of the things that have evolved since uh, since Ultra Learning came out when I was just sort of at the very beginning yeah. of this story. So I look forward to talking to you again. Awesome. Thanks, Scott. All right. Take care. Thanks for listening to this episode. More episodes like this can be found by searching for Scott Young Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and on most other podcasting apps available on your smartphone. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider rating my show as it helps other people find out about it. More of my work can be found on my website at scotthyoung.com.